We get the Ten Commandments today. Woo! Yeah, just, I know you're excited. Say, I got to get me some commandments. No, not so much. I love the commandments. I wish there were 15 of them. Oh, wait. Maybe there was. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten. Ten commandments for all to obey. <laughs> uh, it's funny right there. About a hundred years old, I'm going to think that's funny right there. We are doing the story, and we welcome you here to the story. We're going through the entire Bible. We're using this book. It's not a substitute for the Bible. It's just a way of kind of putting the Bible all into one big picture. We want you to be able to see the big puzzle picture so that you can put it all together. Starts off with God creating everything. It's good. It's very good when he gets Adam and Eve together, and then they disobey, and they bring sin and the curse into the world, and things go downhill, and they go downhill so much that they gets to Noah, and there's only one righteous guy in the whole planet. But because of one righteous guy, God saves the whole planet. Um, he wipes out the rest of it, but he starts everything over. He saves in the ark a, a remnant of humanity and starts the whole thing all over again. And, um, and then a thousand years go by and we get to Abraham. And Abraham is uh, chosen to be the father of many nations. And God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, your nation is going to bless every other nation. And from you, the Messiah is going to come. And it's going to be a really, really important deal. And Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has a bunch of sons, and one of them, his name is Joseph, and his brothers don't like him, so they sell him into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt, which looks like a bad thing, but it's a good thing, because God has this whole plan, because there's going to be a famine in the whole world, and Joseph gets it, figures it out, and he saves the whole world, and becomes the vice president of the world in Egypt. And I know that there have been times when you've been at Easter night, and you've been watching the Ten Commandments, and Charles Neston, and you've been going, you know, let my people go, and you're wondering, why are the people in Egypt in the first place? Does, don't you see how this whole thing comes together? That's how the whole thing is supposed to work. They're in Egypt because Joseph got sold to Egypt, and everybody else followed him there because they were the only ones that had any food. And once you put the whole picture together, it really helps put the Bible together for you. So now you can watch Charlton Heston again and realize why they're in Egypt. Well, Tim Sullivan did a great job last weekend taking us through the whole problem. Here's the problem. Exodus 1.8 says, a new king who didn't know Joseph came into power. Okay? And when the new king came in, he didn't care about Joseph or who Joseph was. You know, many years had gone by, and now the Israelites have grown into this huge nation, and, and they don't like them, but they don't want these Israelites there, so they enslave them. And, and, and God finally says, okay, I'm going to get you out of here. Go back to the promise that I made to Abraham. And Sullivan did, Tim Sullivan did a great job last week getting us the beginning story of Moses and, and all the things that happened as a child. He missed one little detail. I, they made a picture about it. It's always one of those that takes people just a little while to figure it out. Part of the sea, okay? Got it? All right. Uh, I, I, I like studying people like 
mostly I like studying people like David and Peter who are like good-hearted people but just dumb sometimes and do dumb stuff. You know, they're like Cousin Eddie on Christmas vacation. Their heart is bigger than their brain because sometimes that's who I am. I'm usually pretty good-hearted, but I do a lot of dumb stuff. So I like studying them. But every once in a while, I need to go back and I need to study the leaders that are, that are really the good leaders that didn't screw up very often. You know, like we talked about Joseph, who really didn't do anything wrong. we got Abraham, who, who made some mistakes along the way, but he was a great leader. And we've got Moses today. Here's a verse about Moses that's amazing in the Bible. It says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I mean, that's leadership, isn't it? And if you know anything about the Bible, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, but obviously somebody came along after Moses and kind of helped compile everything. Right? Because I'm just saying, if you're the most humble man on the earth, you don't write, I was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Okay? That's what some things we learn about the Bible. He's probably the greatest leader of all time. And as Tim Sutherland told us last week, God went to a lot of trouble to show the Israelites that there were no other gods. The whole deal with the ten plagues, again, if you've seen the movie, you understand the story. The whole deal with the ten plagues was, you think there's a Nile god? I'm going to turn it into blood. You think there's a gnat god? I'm going to give you gnats. You want to worship the froggy god? I'll bring you froggies, right? And all of those plagues were a, were a way, they were a statement by God in which God said, look, there ain't no other gods, okay? There, there's no reason to try to worship anything else. There, there's nothing else that you can worship. So in last week's reading, you read through the, the whole parting of the Red Sea and the manna from heaven and all this stuff. And so we get out away from Egypt, and they're, and they're safely away from Egypt, and they get to Mount Sinai. Okay? And this is the week where God is going to make his covenant promise to Abraham come to fruition. All right? And it's really important that you understand this, because what's about to happen right now is God is about to make a covenant with his people. And here's the terms of the covenant. God told Moses, here's what I want you to say. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, right? How I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if, it's a condition here, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you should say to the Israelites, God told Moses. God is saying to his people, and this is pivotal. Chapter 5 is a key, I know you may not get this, but it's a key point in history, in God's history. Because for the first time, instead of God having a covenant with a person, he's going to have a covenant with the nation. He's broadening it out. All right. Now, if you're wondering about the covenant idea, I explained this a couple of weeks ago, I'll keep coming back to it. There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract is something that I enter into with another person to protect myself. I want to make sure that you sign the contract and I sign the contract so that if you break it, my, my, you know, my stuff is going to be protected. A covenant is something that I enter into so that I can protect you. And I want to prove that I'm going to do something for you. Uh, marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. I take you for better and for worse. Richer and for poor. Okay? You understand that? I, I'm still going to, I, I'm going to love you. I, 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 it's, it's it's something that I'm going to do, and it's for you. It's not for me. It's a covenant, all right? But there are two types of covenants that God made. He made, one, unconditional covenants. Sometimes he made unconditional covenants, like he made with Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and you're gonna, your nations are going to bless the world. No conditions to that whatsoever. Noah, I'm no longer going to wipe out the world by a flood. I'm putting a rainbow in the sky. It's unconditional covenant. doesn't matter what happens. 
But he also made conditional covenants. Okay? You make unconditional covenants with your, when you decide to have children. You should. I mean, I'm sorry if you grew up with parents that didn't do this. But when you, when you decide to have children, you're saying basically, look, I'm bringing you into the world. I'm making a covenant with you. It's unconditional. I'm always going to love you. doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter where you go. I'm always going to love you. doesn't mean I'm not going to discipline you. doesn't mean you know, that we're not going to have to have some, some stuff happen along the way. But I'm always going to love you. You also make conditional covenants with your children along the way. Like if you get good grades, you know, I'll help you get a car when you're old enough. Or if you do all your homework, I'll let you stay up and watch the Bears game to the very end, okay? You've got to do your homework first. Now, what is that? That's a conditional covenant. Again, understand, it doesn't do you any good, right? It doesn't do you any good to make that. You're still looking out for their best interest. You're still looking out for them. They need to get good grades. They need to do their homework. They need to do their chores. They need to brush their teeth. Those are things that are good for them, not you. And please understand that everything that we're going to learn about the law, there is nothing that God asked us to do that's for him. All God ever wanted out of us is a relationship, is love. That's all he ever wants from us, okay? Nothing, I mean, it doesn't do, God, God doesn't care if we lie he, I mean, it's not hurting God if we steal. It's not even hurting God if we worship other gods because there are no other gods. We're just dumb, okay? That, that's, the, that's the deal about this. It doesn't matter if we murder. What does God care? It's one less person for him to worry about if you kill somebody, right? This is a, this is a, this is a covenant, all right? It's not a contract. It's a covenant. All God ever wanted out of us is to love us. But there's a part of this covenant that is conditional, just like there is with your kids. If you don't do what I say, then there's going to be discipline in your life because I've got to teach you the best things because I love you as your parent, okay? And from this nation, God in invites this nation into this covenant, and he says there's going to be some conditions, and now I'm coming to Mount Sinai. We're all going to hang out together, and I'm going to give you the conditions of my covenant, okay? So we get to the Mount Sinai, and because God is great and God is powerful and awesome, that's a word we use for God a lot, he goes up on Mount Sinai and he says, don't, don't let anybody even touch the mountain. Let them gather around, but don't touch the mountain because I am great and I'm powerful and they can't handle it, okay? And Exodus 20, verse 18 says, um, when the people saw the thunder and lightning, I'm on page 61, and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. And they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They're already drama queens this early on. Okay, it's amazing. Uh, God is so powerful and so awesome that they don't even know if they can listen to him anymore, which is why the whole rest of the story is so bizarre to me. Because if God is that great and that awesome and you're that afraid of him, the rest of the story shouldn't take place. If you read ahead, if you read this, this weekend, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't make any sense. As a matter of fact, it may have something to do with the fact that I was in Nashville and Dallas this week, but here is my sermon outline for the day. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Go ahead. But God is great, bears good, and people are crazy. That's my outline if you want to write that down. Now, I, I know some of you are new to Scripture and you're wondering, no, that's not in the Bible. 
It's just a country song, okay? But, but as I was studying this passage this week, I kept thinking about that dumb country song because that's basically what happens here. God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. God is awesome. He is so awesome that they almost soil themselves as they're listening to him just talk to them. He's not, he's not yelling at them. He's not mad. He's just like, I'm the Lord your God. I, I hear some stuff for you I want you to do. And he's so awesome that they're afraid, which makes the rest of this story so incredible. Go, Mo, Moses says, okay, God says, okay, I won't speak to them directly. You come up the mountain, Moses. You and Aaron, your brother, come up the mountain and hang out with me. And I'll give you the conditions of my contract. So Moses goes up the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments. And here they are. Exodus 20. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol for worshiping. Don't take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay, understand something. First four are about our relationship with God. The next six are about our relationship with each other. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not be an adulterer. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness. Don't lie and don't covet. Okay, you see that? Uh, the first four are about God, and the next six are about us, which is why when, Jesus, when they said, Jesus, could you tell us what the law is all about? Jesus said, well, I can sum it up into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and number two, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. That's the, that's the contract, okay? That's the covenant. That's, that's the conditions of the covenant that God has given us. It's all boiled down to that, those very simple things. And the people had to be thinking, all right, that's cool. We can do that. That all makes sense. And so in Exodus 19, verse 8, it says that the people with one voice said, we will do everything the Lord commands. We will do everything the Lord has said. Everything, Okay. Because A, we're afraid of him, and B, uh, makes sense. We agree to the terms of the covenant, the conditional covenant. We agree to that. So God says, okay, Moses, they like it. That's good. It's all good. They're accepting it. You come back up the mountain. I want to write these down on stone tablets for you with my own finger so that you have the Ten Commandments, so that you have them forever and ever, and, and you, can, you can keep them forever so that people won't forget them. Well, Moses knows that the people are weak, so he leaves a babysitter back home to hang out with him. His brother Aaron, the other guy who'd gone up the mountain to get this commands in the first place, he leaves Aaron back home with the people, which is why, even more so, the rest of the story is so crazy. Moses goes up the mountain for 40 days, and the people grow impatient, and they wait for Moses to come down, and as they grow impatient, they start to think, wow, what happened to Moses I don't know if Moses is coming back. And, and, and one of two things happen right here, okay? Page 64 of your book. One of two things happen. Either the people just forgot about God in less than 40 days, which is amazing, or beer is good and people are crazy. It may just be that they wanted to party, okay? You need to understand. Well, I'll explain this as we go along, but I just think the people got bored and they wanted to have a party. So when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. We don't need no stinking Moses. Make us some gods. Are you catching this? Okay, first two rules are no other gods, no idols, right? You get this? Isn't this amazing? The first four commands are about our relationship with God, and in less than 40 days, it's got to be a record, in less than 40 days, they're ready to break it. 
You understand why they're called the children of Israel, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's like they're four years old. What happened to Moses? I don't know. Did you see the old movie with Michael Keaton called Multiplicity where he cloned himself? These people remind me of clone number four, okay? I like pizza. I mean, they're just, they're just amazing to me. Hey, Steve, I like pizza. You got to go. It's one of my favorites. So, sorry, ADD. Aaron, here's what's funny about this. Aaron could be clone number four because Aaron is the guy that has gone up the mountain and come back down again. Aaron heard God say all of these things. Aaron heard God say, read my lips, no other gods. So when the people come to Aaron, he should say, are you kidding me? Don't you remember you just signed a contract with God? You signed a covenant with God saying you were going to follow God and that would be breaking the covenant. Aaron doesn't say that. He says, well, I've got an idea. Why don't you people take off your gold earrings and bring them to me? So all the people took off their earrings and they brought them to Aaron. And they, he took what they handed him and, they made, and he made it into an idol. He did it. He made it into an idol. Cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Not like the Lord, but like the cow Lord right there. And the next day the people rose early <laughs> and they sacrificed burnt offerings and they presented fellowship offerings. And here we get to the good part. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Because beer is good and people are crazy. That, I mean, this is what I really think was going on. They just really wanted a reason to party. That's basically what it is. They're going to break the commandments, whatever, and, and make sure that they've got a reason to party. Okay? Here's your tweet for the day in case you want to have something. I'll just tell it to you, all right? Here's one of the most important things I'm going to tell you today. I don't think that idolatry is about replacing God with another God. Idolatry is not about replacing God with another God. Idolatry is about replacing God with us. Idolatry is not about replacing God with another God. There aren't, there aren't any other gods. And deep down inside we know that. Idolatry is about replacing God with us. My friend texted me after the last service. He said, it's like the little kid crawling up into daddy's chair and saying, this chair fits me just fine. That's really what idolatry is, Okay. What's unbelievable is they had just told God, okay, we're going to do everything you said, no idols, nothing else, and we're going to do all this, and we're going to follow you, and it's that fast, okay? So Moses starts coming down the mountain, and, and, and he hears the drums, and he hears the party going on, because they're partying like it's 1446 B.C., and they're having this Woodstock on steroids celebration. I mean, the definition for revelry is way beyond what you could possibly imagine. One of the reasons that idol worship was always so popular, and foreign worship was always so popular, there's temple prostitution going on. I mean, this is a crazy, unbelievable party that's going on here, all right? Revelry doesn't really touch it, okay? So, when in Exodus 32:17 it says when Joshua is coming down with Moses and he heard the noise of the people shouting he said to Moses there's the sound of war in the camp and Moses said it's not the sound of victory it's not the sound of defeat actually it really was it is the sound of singing that i hear the closer Moses gets sees the golden calf he gets down in front of all the people and you know like Charlton Heston i mean that was legitimate he takes the commandments, and he says, this is what you've done with the commandments. Boom. And he smashes them into a million pieces. 
All right? That's our story. I'll come back to it. I want to pause for a minute because what I was thinking about as I was working on this this week is there's got to be application for us, right? And, and I know that we don't bow down to any idols. You don't have any, you know, idols in your house that you bow down to. I mean, maybe you're trying to sell your house and you got St. Joseph buried upside down in the front yard or whatever, but that, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about worshiping an idol. You don't do that. That's not what's going on, all right? But do we have other idols in our life? Nancy Ortberg wrote an article, and she had four things that really made me think, how, how could you know if you've got idols in your life? It's just, how do you distinguish if something has become an idol? Number one, it's an idol reflects the culture that you live in, okay? So it's not something foreign, it's not something crazy. It's probably the same thing that non-Christ followers would worship. It's, it's going to be an idol, okay? It's going to be something that, that is familiar to us, that fills our needs, okay? It, it reflects the culture, number one. Number two, an idol is something that has a repetitive nature to it. You're going to do it over and over again. You're going to go back to it. Over and over again, I've got to tell you, for the next couple of months, you are going to get tired of hearing the story of the children of Israel following God and then running off to not follow God and then follow God and running back again because in times of stress, in times of boredom, what was going on right there, they run back to it. Nancy said addictions can be idols. She said, my father suffered from alcoholism. She said, he would, my father would always say, I can quit anytime I want. And she said, I don't know if he believed that, but I know nobody else in the family did because we knew what the truth was. He wasn't willing to give it up because he was driven by the repetitive nature of this thing that had become an idol to him. Okay? It's, it's cultural. It's repetitive. Number three, it competes with God. This is the obvious one. It's competing for the attention of God. For example... Money can do that. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be. And then he goes on to talk about how money could be an idol. He says, because no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money, Jesus said. It's not going to work. You can't have something that competes with God. Because something that competes with God is going to obscure our view of God. And that's going to, that's going to become an idol for us. So how do you tell if something's obscuring your view of God? Well, how much attention, time, money, and sacrifice are you giving to that thing? Because the Old Testament law is very clear that when you brought a sacrifice to God, it should be the very best, the lamb without blemish. God was upset with Cain because he didn't bring him his very best. And in the New Testament, we are a living sacrifice, right? We're now the sacrifice, so we're supposed to be bringing our best to God. And if we're giving our best to something else or to someone else, then it's become an idol. It's cultural. It's repetitive. It, 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 it could become an, an idol for us if it's competing with God. And number four, it's surrounded by rationalizations and excuses. Uh, I'm back on page 65 in your storybook. This is great. So Moses is obviously a little upset with his brother Aaron. Why did, you, why did these people do to you? What did these people do to you that you let them into such great sin? Listen to this. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron said. You know how prone these people are to evil. That's leadership right there, isn't it? Don't you love that? Heard a joke about a pastor who went to a new church and it was a troubled church it always had a lot of trouble and and the previous pastor uh you kind of warned him about it but he said listen when you get there i've 
put three envelopes in the top drawer. He said, whenever you start to get in trouble, just open up one of those envelopes. Just do them one at a time, and they will help you out along the way. So things are going along pretty good for a while, and, you know, everything's great, the honeymoon period. But pretty soon, somebody gets mad about something, and they're questioning the pastor's leadership. So he goes and he opens envelope number one, and it says, blame me. Blame me. Blame the you know, previous administration. This is how we do this, right? And so he's like, yeah, okay. So he gets up and he says, you know what? All of our problems are based on the former pastor, what he did. It's all his fault. And the people bought it, and things went good for a while. But then after a little while more, there's a, you know, another problem. And, and sure enough, he goes back and gets the next envelope, and it says, blame the elders. Oh, he's like, oh, that's great. So he gets, you know, he's like, oh, you know what? I'm a great leader, but those, those elders, they're terrible. They, they, they're not very spiritual. You know, they're, they're not leading us in the right direction. And the people buy it, and they calm down a little bit. Obviously, the elders didn't, but they calm down a little bit. Things go on for a little bit longer, and he's like, oh, here's another problem again. So he goes back to the, to the drawer one more time. He opens up the third envelope, and it says, prepare three envelopes. Because <laughs> there's only so much blaming you can do on everybody else, right? But listen to this. It, is so, it gets so much better. Aaron says, oh, you know how prone these people are to evil. They said, make us gods who will go before us. And they didn't know what was going to happen to you. And you get over to verse 32 and it says, I said to them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire. <laughs> and out came this calf. Is that great? I mean, it sounds like a six-year-old, doesn't it? I didn't break the lamp, Mommy. It was my imaginary friend. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable to me. And we laugh at it, but the truth is we all have rationalizations and excuses in our minds as well. The truth is what happened just now was as soon as I brought up the, the subject of idols and started tr tracking it back into our own self, something in your brain, I'm just guessing, something in your brain kind of clicked in and went, oh, there might be something here, or there might be something here, or there might be something here. You might have a whole herd of them going on in your head. And, and something clicked in, and you were like, oh, I wonder if that's a problem. A nanosecond later, something else clicked over on the other side of your brain and started going, no, that's not a problem. That's not really an idol. You're really okay. Am I right? Isn't that what just happened? <clears throat> because even in our own brain, we're going to rationalize and we're going to excuse. I want to tell you something. Always listen to the first part of your brain. Great lesson for you today. Whatever just came up, whatever came up first, you ought to pay attention to that. What might that have been? I'll give you four easy examples. I already mentioned one, materialism. It could be an easy idol. You're giving the best of yourself. It's competing with God. That's why God said you need to give so that you are not materialistic. It might be pleasure. It might be sinful pleasure, but let's just stick with non-sinful pleasure. It might be pleasure that is competing with God. It's becoming an idol for you. It might be relationships that are competing with God. Maybe it's your kids that are, that are competing with the place that God's supposed to be in your life. Maybe it's your spouse. You know the problem with most marriages is that people are thinking that that spouse is supposed to be the person that only God could ever be. Anytime I would ever put my wife above God, I've walked into idolatry and our marriage is going to have a bunch of problems. But you might be single thinking, oh, I'm off the hook with that. Maybe your quest for that lover has become an idol for you and it's giving the, given the best of your attention as you're trying to figure out who that person is going to be. See, a relationship could do that. It might be your body. You know, maybe you worship at the Temple of Lifetime Total Fitness, you know? Uh, I mean, hey, I, I work out too for health and longevity. Obviously not because I worship this body or I'd start tucking my shirts in. But no, 
I, I, I think it's important. I, I just mentioned four things, none of which are wrong, okay? None of them are wrong. It's good for you to have fun. It's good, it's good for you to have relationships. It's okay for you to take care of your body. It, it's, these things are good for you to do. It's okay to have money. God didn't say money was the root of all evil. He says the love of money was the root of all evil. All those things are good, but they could be competing with God, which is why David in the Psalms said they, the problem was they worshiped the golden calf because they forgot God. They forgot Moses and they forgot God. And they said, it's time for us to get something new. Which is why Paul said, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Run, Forrest. Get away from it. Because it's not going to do you any good. Moses knows this. So... Um, there's a bunch of punishment that happens along the way, and some of it is more severe than this. But the funny part for me is that he melts down the golden calf and he puts it in their water. He puts it in their water. I mean, there's not much water in the desert of Sinai. So he melts down the golden calf and turns it to ashes, puts it in the water, mixes it up, and makes them drink it. It, is the, it was the ancient equivalent of washing their mouth out with soap. Do you get this? I believe what Moses was saying was, you think this God can satisfy you? Here, drink this and tell me if this is satisfying to you. David, 400 years later, wrote about this experience, and I think he nailed it pretty well in Psalm 106. He said, they made a calf and they worshipped an idol cast from metal, and they exchanged their glorious God for an image of bull which eats grass. I mean, he throws that in there. He wants to make sure you realize how stupid this is. They exchanged their glorious God for the image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done all the things in Egypt and the miracles and the awesome deeds. They forgot God, and they exchanged it. I just got to say, is it worth exchanging the glory of God for the -the fill-in-the-blank thing that's going on in your life? Is it... Is it worth that for the bull that eats grass? And here's the problem, Christians. If you've been Christians for a long time, you know what the problem is? The problem is somebody comes to us and says, "Mm, that might be a golden calf. We're pretty good at saying, no, that's just a big dog. You're not looking at it correctly. It's not really. We could have a whole herd of these things going on in our brains, a whole herd of these things going on that we know are a problem, but we're not going to admit it because we know this is wrong. We know idolatry is wrong. Let, let, me, let me help you to understand God differently with this, and then I'll finish this up, okay? The problem that you're not getting from the law, the problem, when you have a hesitation about the Ten Commandments, there are two problems. Number one, you know you're going to break them. You know we've already broken them. You know we're not going to do very good at it. But the second problem is we don't understand why he gave them to us, okay? If you can go back to the idea that this is a covenant and not a contract, it's going to be really, really important, Okay? This is God our Father. Remember that? Jesus said that we're supposed to pray our Father who art in heaven, right? Jesus said in Matthew 7, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, you know how to be a dad or a mom, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask them? The Ten Commandments are good gifts. The Old Testament law was a good gift, okay? It was God's way of saying, look both ways before you cross the street. Otherwise, you're going to get run over. It was God's way of saying, don't run with scissors. It was God's way of saying, don't stick your tongue to a frozen flagpole. All right? 
Because I'm your father, and I know what happens when you do this. This stuff is really the best way to live on all levels. Dostoevsky said, where there is no God, all is permitted. And when all is permitted, children get hurt. That's what happens. Even the commandments about following God are for our own good. When I, my kids were little, I did not have a commandment for them that said, you shall have no other dads before me. But the principle was there. Don't go following other dads. Because I don't know where other dads are going. I don't know what they're doing. I'm your father. I want you to follow me. Do you see what I'm saying? I know evil. I know what's out there. I, maybe some great other dads out there. But you're my responsibility. And you follow me because it's the best thing for you. All of the commandments are like that. Keep the Sabbath. I mean, we know we can't run 90 miles an hour seven days a week. We get that now. Honor your father and mother. Murder, adultery, stealing, lying. They're all here to protect us. Have you been on the other side of any of those commandments when they were broken? I know a lot of you have. And you understand why God said this. You understand why God did this for us. He is the Father. He is the Creator. He is the Engineer, and He knows how we work. Scholars have estimated that up to one-third of the commands in the Old Testament, there's over 600 of them that we'll skip through because you don't need to know all that stuff as we go through the next several months, but there's over 600 of them. Over 200 of them have to do with health regulations alone. And they were health regulations that the people didn't even understand back then. One of God's commands was, if you have a pot that has a crack in it, throw it away. And I can't imagine how many times people said, oh, why do we have to throw this pot away? It still works, but it's got a crack in it. Well, the law says you need to throw that cracked pot away. Why would we need to do that? You know why they needed to do it? Because guess what breeds in the crack of a pot if you don't have good sanitary things going on? Germs, that's where they're going to live, is in the crack, not in the smooth place, in the rough place. That's where the germs are going to be. You know all the conditions about unclean things that were in the Bible? Don't touch a dead body, about the woman's cycle, about, about, all the, about leprosy, about all the, all the unclean stuff that went on? Why was that? That was so that we wouldn't get germs. Do you know when germs were discovered? 1845! So thousands of years before they knew why, God gave them all these regulations to help them to be in a better place. Please understand that about God. That's who God is. He's trying to take care of you. If you want to go follow those other gods, do you know what the ancient Mideastern medical practices were in Egypt, for example? If you had an infected splinter, here's the remedy from ancient Egypt if you have an infected splinter. It was an ointment that was composed of the blood of worms mixed with donkey dung. Put that on your splinter. You don't have to worry about your splinter anymore because you're dead of E. coli. <laughs> That's why God said, don't have any other gods in front of me because they're stupid. Follow me. I'm the guy who's going to take care of you. I'm Father. Father knows best. I could go on and on with the, the, the rule maker thing. Please just stop looking at God as the nasty rule maker and start understanding that he's the God who loves you, okay? Here, here's the best illustration I can give you, and I apologize in advance if you're a law enforcement officer. <laughs> I love you, but I don't like it when you follow me. <laughs> right? You feel me? I mean, as soon as a policeman pulls out behind me, I start freaking out. I don't know if you do. 
The first, <laughs> first thing that happens is my foot comes off the gas. It doesn't matter how fast I'm going. I assume that I'm speeding. So my foot comes off the gas. I start looking around. Do I have my seatbelt on? My hands are at 10 and 2. And I get really, really nervous. Now, why is that? I'll tell you why it is. It's because I'm a lawbreaker. <laughs> I admit it. I break the law. And when the policeman is behind me, it makes me intimidated. And I drive like my mother-in-law. That's what happens. Just his presence behind me makes me feel that way. And some of you grew up with that vision of God in your life. You grew up with God being this guy who's behind you, saying, thou shalt not and thou shalt not. And you're, you're missing the point. Here's the point. If I'm driving somewhere and we need two cars and my dad is driving behind me, that makes me happy. I don't have anything to worry about, right? I mean, my dad doesn't want me to break the law. My dad doesn't want me to do those things that are wrong, but my dad is there to help. So are the police, but, you know, I don't, I don't feel that. I don't feel protecting to serve. I feel to incarcerate. That's what I feel. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I know that if my dad is behind me, He's there for me, and if I run out of gas, I can go get gas with him, and if my car breaks down, he'll be there, and if I need to change my tire, he's there for me. Do you see the difference in how you view God? If you can start viewing God as our Father who art in heaven, maybe you can understand that this, this contract that he entered into was a contract that was there for us. Okay. Now here's the problem. My father could be following me, and I could still get a ticket. My father could be following me and I could still have an accident because if I can go back to the very beginning, I'm always going to be a person who makes mistakes. I'm always going to be a human being. And as I brought up the Ten Commandments and as I brought up the idolatry thing, what happened in your mind, I'm guessing, is that you re I'm hoping, is that you realized that you're a lawbreaker too. I uh, was listening to the radio a couple nights ago and uh, Renegade from Styx came on. One of my all-time favorite rock songs. Amen? Styx fans, okay? Let me tell you my rock, my, my rock history, my rock moment. I had a rock moment. In 1993, long, long time ago, Styx did a reunion tour and uh, they did that Show Me The Way song and they had a, a concert at the, what was the World Music Theater at the time. They had this huge concert, sold out, 14,000 people there. And for some reason, John Panazzo wanted to get married on stage. And he had this sweet little fiance and they came to me and they said, would you do this wedding on stage at the end of the Sticks concert? And, and for some reason I said yes. I still don't know if it was right or not, but I said yes. And so, so here's what happened. Now, if it, was anybody there? Anybody remember that crazy preacher came out? Okay, that was me, all right? It was me. And, and so they sing Come Sail Away, you know, and everybody's like up, and by this time they're all wasted, you know, and everybody's just, woo! And Dennis DeYoung comes out and he goes, all right, now, John Panazzo's going to get married. And everybody's like, what? And I come walking out on stage, and we, you know, she comes out in her white dress, and we did like a five-minute wedding ceremony. I tried to present the gospel to 14,000 drunk people at the World Music Theater. That doesn't have anything to do with it. Here was my moment, okay? My rock moment was walking off stage after, after I said amen, said a prayer at the Sticks concert. After I said amen, I walked off, and I was, I was walking off like this, and, and Tommy Shaw was, was Johnny Bressler. And as soon as I walked off, Tommy kicked into, Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a moment. Lawman is putting into my running, and I'm so far from my home. Why do we resonate with that song so much? Or Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, or Eagle's Desperado. Why is it that that song, there was something about those songs and that genre of songs that we related to, because we all knew we were renegades, and someday the lawman was going to catch up to us. Especially if you grew up with the nasty police officer image of God, you at least knew that someday there was hell to pay for what was going on. And here's the best news. I I spent a whole sermon telling you all the stuff that doesn't matter anymore. Are you ready for this? Because now we live in the New Testament. And Paul said, listen, here's the problem. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There was never ever a person that kept all the Ten Commandments. So if you feel like a renegade today, you feel like the lawman is coming and you're so far away and, and you just feel like, man, I, I don't know what I could do with my life. Guess what? When Jesus passed the communion down to his disciples, he said, this cup is the, say it, new covenant in my blood. It's the new covenant. It's not the old covenant anymore. It's poured out for you. Paul said in Colossians, when you were dead in your sins, you renegade, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. It stood against us and condemned us, and he took it away, nailing it to the cross. He took the Ten Commandments, and he nailed them to the cross. They are no longer the judge over you anymore, which is why he could say in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit that gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Do you understand that? So we're going to have communion right now, and we're going to give you the opportunity, no matter how much of a renegade that you have been in your life, no matter how far you've gone from your home, no matter what's gone on in your and how many, if you broke all ten of the commandments, and you realize that today, first of all, please understand that God gives us all of this stuff because he loves us, and he's not the nasty policeman that wants to pull you over. He is the loving Heavenly Father that's trying to protect you. But one way or another, if you are a person who's broken these commandments and you've never even accepted Christ as your Savior, we're going to pass the cup of the new covenant around. We're going to give you the opportunity to accept it today. But before we do that, we wanted to worship for a little bit. I just felt like we needed to come out of this and, and spend a little time and, and sing about Jesus and who he is so that we could understand this gift that he's given us. So let's do that together right now. All right, we're going to do communion right now. We're going to pass the cup of the what? New covenant. There's a new covenant. We're going to pass that around right now, give you the opportunity to take the, image, the emblems of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, there are people in this room that uh, maybe for the very first time have realized that you're their loving Father and that what Jesus said and what they maybe have prayed all their life is really the way we should look at this, that you are our Father in heaven, and that we pray for you to give us the daily bread and to forgive us and all the things that we pray in that prayer because we know that you're our Father, not because you're the, not because you're the, 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 the rule enforcer, but because you love us. And you loved us so much you sent your Son, Jesus, to die and pay for all the times when I break the rules. And Jesus, we worship you right now. There are people in this room who just need to open their hearts up to you and say, God, 
I need forgiveness. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I, I want to follow you. Forgive me for my sins. Lord, all of us come right now, and as this cup is passed, we're going to remember it's a new covenant. It's not the old covenant anymore. And we're thankful for the old covenant because you made it for our good. But we're even more thankful that the new covenant is based on Jesus and not based on us. We accept it in the name of Jesus. Amen.